for the Dad Bod Rap Pop with your hosts, Timon Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Three underground rap nerds walked into a bar. An argument ensued about who the goats are. The seed was a thought that would turn into a pod. Now fans worldwide say, not a bad job, the ad hoc cab squad Who chronicles the vanguard of hip-hop at large Rap taste slacked off, don't need to be mad, dog. Look no further, it's the dad bod Rap pod Podcasting live from San Jose, California It is the dad bod rap pod My name is Demo Carter, a.k.a. Dim One I am joined by both of my bros I think it's been a minute since we, we've been all together um after dave uh punched me in practice uh, we had to we had to he went on a permanent leave we, we had uh, to put you away from the team for about a week yeah. and then we signed you to a massive contract and now everyone's know, happy again now now we're all friends uh dave Ma, how's it going man Yo, it's going good, you guys. Yeah, it's been a minute. You guys keep going to New York without me, so it's good to see you guys here. And then uh, I'm, I'm still tired from uh, BopFest, so here we are. Jesus. Uh, Mr. LeBlanc, what's happening, man? I'm good, dude. Um, excited to exchange notes. I went to New York a couple weeks ago. You were just in New York. Um, so really, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Just got back into town about uh, 36 hours ago. Um, and, you know, the trip to New York is always I come back with a changed perspective because I feel like um, I spend a lot of my time thinking about things that happen in that place. And then you go uh, and it's kind of an interesting compare and contrast. But uh, New York is acting brand new. They have weed at the bodega. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a wild development. Uh, I got a chance to uh, get some dumplings with a friend of the program, Nappy Nina. Yeah. Nice. When I was there, which was super fun. We talked about a gang of things. But um, afterwards, you know, walking back to the train station, she's like, oh, I'm going to go get some weed from the bodega. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> I shall accompany you. So we're walking down the streets of Brooklyn. She pops into this bodega and she's like, oh, what flower you got? And a dude reaches behind the counter and literally just pulls buds out of a bag. And he's like, this is the 20 and this is the 30. Like no packaging, just raw wow. hand, raw wow. hand dealing with bud. Um, the 30 it's like halfway in between us having like designer boutiques. And then when you, a guy used to come over to your house and like bother you for half an hour yeah it's it's <laughs> it's right there uh you can get a, your hot cheetos and a and a 30 bag which is what nita got ironically um <laughs> she, she did this one. Uh, and then you so double down i assume i i wish i wish i could have um <laughs> but uh what i did end up getting from a different bodega and it was pretty hilarious is like i'm gonna buy some edibles i'm here you know i'm gonna see what it what it do uh i thought about you immediately dave why are the edibles packaged 500 milligrams in 10 50 milligram gummies? Nice. Whoa. Nice. nice. Well, like, why, waste, why waste product, man? Keep, just give it the straight raw, right? Wow. Like, I, would, I would have to cut those in tenths. I, I almost made <laughs> out my, my last will and testament before I, I even thought about taking one because that is insane. And Nina agreed. She's like, they don't know how to do it yet. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. It was you really can good always time. take more. 
You can never right. take and less. It's, it's exactly. better not to have a cap on it, though, because here everything is 100. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's why I thought of you, Dave. I'm like, this is some Dave Moss <laughs> shit right here. Man. <laughs> I have 500 milligrams of uh, edibles in my pocket. And yes, Nate, I did have to take a knife and be like, Remember fraction? Yeah, but it was good. It was good times. When I was there, I did not. I didn't. I I brought what I needed. I I travel. You know, uh, I come strapped uh, wherever <laughs> I go. But um, they, we were in the Lower East Side, and they had like a hippie bus, like dread, like all like rainbowed out, mm-hmm. like sixties style. And she was like, "We got a full dispensary on here," and I was like. I'm good, but yeah. I'm happy for you guys. Like, I, like I guess saw it, you and knew. It's funny. Uh, we went around the corner and these like gutter punks who were playing like the world's worst song on a beat, beat up acoustic guitar were like, um, hey, man, do you have any weed? <laughs> I was like, no, but do I have a sign on my forehead? And also, like, <laughs> there's a bus around the corner if you can panhandle enough money. <laughs> You could go buy a free roll. Well, well, I gave somebody a blunt on the way out of town because uh, because I was so overwhelmed by the 500 milligrams of weed. That I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't get a chance to to roll the blunt, to smoke the blunt that I rolled, which oh. I don't really smoke blunts, but right. I want it to be like New York. Mm, so the yes. first thing I did. You're at the was, Timberland store with your blunt. You roll right? up your pant <laughs> it's, leg. It's, an, it's, imagery. <laughs> it's imagery. So I did something I never, never do. And I bought a fucking backwood. Right. I'm going to go meet up. I'm going to roll a backwood. I'm going to pull up. It's going to be some rapper ass rapper shit. Um, This shit was so sad. It fell (laughs) apart. It was like a (laughs) dry, brittle leaf and like weed was falling everywhere. It was a total disaster. And I showed Nina. She's like, oh, yeah, you got to wet it. Like, you have no idea what you're doing, huh? And I was like, no. I'm like, where's the Swisher? She's like, don't ask for Swishers. They'll call you old. (laughs) Oh, they'll be right. Yeah, so apparently wow. switchers are for the oldies. I did find a switcher. Wow. I rolled it. Didn't get to smoke it, but shout out to wow. uh Damon goes in the uh uh bodega and he asks for a Philly, and then it's just like that old commercial, they're like, <laughs> get a room. Get a room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't do Dutch Masters. They had Dutch Masters, and there's just something about a Dutch slave master on my blunt that I can't Ooh, I did I can't not stomach. think about that. I think they're I was not thinking painters, that at all. but yeah, I hear you. They're called stud masters. <laughs> Stay um, away from that terminology altogether. They're all masters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, got to chop it up with Nappy Nina. She's got a dope record coming out in January. She has a single out right now called Scuffle dope. that folks should check out, produced by Nelson Bandela. And I would say for about 12% of the, the dumpling lunch we had, we were talking about Mavi. Uh and his trajectory and, and the, she the, had her previous single with him right yeah so she she's got a, a single with him that that record's gonna be on her album but yeah the album hadn't come out yet when we were talking about it but um mavi one of the most interesting uh artists working today and i'll throw this out to you dave is he on track to be the most famous person that has come through the dad bod rap pod to fame pipeline wow Wow, came, I'm not sure came about, to us. I'm not sure a, about that. Like he came to us as a he seemed about 12, but I think he was about 19 years totally. old. Totally. Uh, I was gonna say pre-COVID, we, we caught him in between cutting classes, you know, after speaking <laughs> 10 months. Exactly. Um, he somehow sounded more stoned talking to us than he does on record. It was crazy. <laughs> um 
Uh, to answer your question though, more famous, not sure, but in terms of the echelon of respect and growth, way up there, dude, way up there. Uh, um, let's, really, let's, really into the new record. Let's do a game. How okay. many monthly listeners on Spotify do you guys think Mavi has? Over and over. Oh, I, I, that's a tough one. I have no clue. It is 1,547,659, including the three of us. And I bring that up <laughs> because uh, our sweet spot for the people we tend to cover is about 20 to 80. Okay. 20 to 80,000. Wow. And yeah. that's what, okay. kind of what okay. and Nina were talking about is like, uh, how do you play the algorithm game? And part of it, she was like, hey, you, you have to link with people who have uh, more monthly streams than you do. And, and Mavi's definitely one of those people. He's, he's on the come up. He's got this new album, uh, Laughing So Hard It Hurts. Nate, you have often laughed so hard that I think you're hurting yourself. Uh, <laughs> it seem to be the case, but uh, what what do you think of the record? I'm really into the record. Um, I had so it, it's I, you guys hear me say this a lot, but I think the way you take it in really matters. Like for instance, we had our road trip down to Southern California together. We listened to probably ten albums, yeah. but we actually listened to zero. Because right. over the sound of the road and us talking and all that stuff, you can't really hear what's what's going on. So I listened to it very intently um, at like seven o'clock in the morning because I woke up and I had to do stuff to get ready for work and I had an early meeting. So I listened to it like in my headphones while I was doing my morning routine. And um, it's it's I was listening lyrics first and it's interesting to hear his growth as a writer and as a deliverer. Um, he's mm -hmm. enunciating a lot more. Um, it's le a little less sludgy, obviously. Um, that's not really the vibe anymore. It's just, I mean, it's just, it's really, really good. It gave me a lot to think about. I had a few tracks I was drawn to immediately. And um, it's just kind of staggering to watch him kind of create this new body of work and to release it and to see people be excited about it. Like, it's, it's super dope, dude. I'm really into it. Dave, I listened to this record and I went, this is a lot of singing for Dave. <laughs> I True, would, or false? True or false? <laughs> um, false. And uh, I was just going to say, he's not necessarily singing. He's more like melodically rapping. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's sort of the difference. Um, I'm with it. Um, to Nate's point, I think Mavi is perfect for the mornings. I kind of, I don't want, you know, um, I don't want anybody yelling at me. Mavi is just sort of like slowly kind of talking to you. It's perfect for, you know, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., sort of time frame okay. and to hear his growth from Earl's you know feet of clay and then later seeing Earl produce some tracks on Let the Sun Talk I think it's just fantastic for them to sort of for him to sort of be a springboard from the Earl uh, one of the Earl spawns but mm -hmm. um, I love I really like the album um, I was immediately drawn to Known Unknowns and the track mm -hmm. Hemlock um, I love how all the tracks are like kind of short as well um, none of them stand out in a bad way like I'm never like I need to turn this track off. This one sucks. Yeah. It's a skippy, you know. Um, I, I'm really into it. I also I, I don't love the production as much as I do on Let the Sun Talk, but there were um, producers on here that I've never heard of, like Monte Booker and Wolf Morpheus, which makes me want to go explore, you know, and I always want to hear that. Um, yeah, man, overall, super into it. Um, obviously not as stripped down as um, the end of earth i believe it was called right yeah 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 which i, I like that that ep from him so, I think that was that was last year um yeah all right all right little little surprise there but dave makes a distinction between <laughs> singing and melodic rapping 
Um, so that's that is a very fine but important line. Um, not to be contrarian, because this ain't ESPN. If we all loved the record, we would just tell you. Uh. I was I was a little underwhelmed. I'm not gonna lie to you. Okay. It, it gave me uh it gave me vibes of No Names Room 25, um, which attempts to inject this kind of R and B uh brighter, happier sound on it. It's not. It doesn't go that far because she actually has like R and B singers and stuff. But all of the mm-hmm. tracks uh have this kind of syncopated um bright loopy thing that they're doing. And, and sometimes it, it really lands like the songs uh Chinese Finger Trap and the um Laughing So Hard title track I thought were were great. Um, but I kind of got lost in there somewhere in the first 10 tracks. I, really? I, didn't, I didn't hear a lot of there it, it doesn't have a lot of gears. It has a particular when, gear, and if you if you fuck with that, which which I do in into in a general sense. Um but I again, thought I mean I, when did you listen to it? You I listened know, to past it on 10 a.m. Uh, yeah, apparently. That's what you lost, man. That, that you guys got him on the fucking uh, the Folgers uh, hip hop. Totally. Uh, no, I mean, I was I was on the plane, so I was kind of excited. You know, when you have like appointment listening and shit, and you're like, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. move for five hours. I'm gonna just yeah. I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna sit in the tuck with this. Um, he's an amazing writer. Um, I think he has levels to reach. I, I didn't love the production. I think the production made him a little more sedate and subdued. Uh, part of why I love Mavi is some tracks, he seems like he's about to run the fuck out of breath. Things seem right, desperate right. and urgent. And here he's, he's a little bit more laid back. I don't know if that's deliberate in the sense of this is supposed to be a bigger record. Mm. Um, he's definitely slowing down and enunciating to your point, Nate. I, I picked that up right away. He can be hard yeah. to follow sometimes. And so... He was able to do that without really compromising his style too much, but but for me, the production made it just like, okay. Now, with that being said, the shit's been out for like, you know, 48 hours. So uh, with some records, uh, it's almost dry being one of them for me. I, it, it, sometimes it is time and place and just being able to sit down with it. But um, the, the kid is great and uh, he's got great things ahead of him and, and we, we wish him the best. Um, yeah. So, um, I don't know if you guys saw it. There was an article on uh, Passion of the Weiss by a writer named Pranav Troon. Um, it's an interview with Mavi, and it was published, I think, right around the release date, maybe a little before. And uh, they talk about how Mavi's, what was planned as his second LP, um, a project called Shango, right? uh, got shelved. Or okay. they don't really say exactly what happened. I think we're using the term shelved, but like, but I think the way they put it is like was lost to industry fuckery, Ooh. and like I can okay. kind of hear what Oof. you're saying, Damone, where there there seem there it does seem like a a a gear as you call it kind of got skipped, you know, mm-hmm. like when you're riding your bike and you're pushing mm-hmm. hella hard, and then all of a sudden you go up a hill and it's like free, yeah. and it's like it's like how did you get there? How did you start climbing the hill? And so I think we're we're missing a little um, piece of the story, and that sucks. And it's like I feel like that maybe happens less these days because people don't have mm-hmm. labels, but maybe that's what happens when you try to fuck with them. I don't know the whole story, but I do think that's an interesting component to this. And I did enjoy the piece and wanted to shout out um, the writer and Jeff for, you know, providing a space for journalism like this as well. But um, inter- interesting to hear that, uh, you know, everybody got excited by let the sun talk something happened you'll never hear the second right. one and now he's bounced back and in a relatively short amount of time has kind of uh found a lane for himself yeah that's that's totally. my hope that's my hope i feel like um 
and I was talking to Nina about this, is uh, I feel like there are a lot of folks who came out of the the wave of Earl Sweatshirt, and I'm not I'm not gonna call them Spawns anymore because he considers them brothers. So people who came along in that wave, um, I think he has the brightest trajectory, and I think I think that's the bet that the powers behind him are making that he can take that style, um, into places it hasn't been before. So definitely exciting, but that's just one of a slew of releases that went down. In quarter three, we are getting to the end of the fucking year. This shit is crazy. Uh, <laughs> Nate, what's another record from Q3 that uh, caught your attention? I'm gonna excuse me a second while I get up on my soapbox. Um, take taking every opportunity to try to get people to listen to this Mr. Motherfucking Esquire record. Hey. Um, it's called "I Love You Cause You Ugly." And um, we've talked about this a little bit on the Patreon. I feel like I've talked about it with um, some people online, but like, I, I really like this record. It's a very weird record. The Beatscape is almost assaultive, but um, Mr. Xquire is rapping at an extremely high level on it. And I really feel like heads that are looking for like some rap shit. Like I wanna hear patterns. I wanna hear different flows. I wanna hear different subject matter. I wanna hear some risks being taken. Um, should give themselves uh, the space to listen to the Mr. Motherfucking Esquire, which I would say the perfect time to listen to this would be between 9.30 and 11.30 p.m. <laughs> I love the timestamps. I think that's going to be a, a new feature of our reviews on Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dave, what's a, what's a Q3 record that uh, stood out for you? Man, I mean, uh, again, I mean, what an embarrassment of riches so far, but um, I, I got to shout out besides how much I love cheat codes, uh, Black Black Thought and Danger Mouse. I got to shout out King Cobra, right? uh, Brian Annals and Affinity Knives. Yeah. Um, shout out to Nate for uh, hipping me to that as well. But I mean, Thank what a beautiful album. It starts out with Neath the Willow's Leaves, which is like one of my favorite cuts. And it has that weird so uh, opera sample. And then, you know, songs like Coke Jaw and stuff. I mean, it's frenetic. It's it's in your face. Brian Annals has a great voice. Um, he's funny. He paints a good picture and the and the beatscape is really dope i think infinity knives mentioned during our interview that he's working on um some movie scoring right now which i think oh, is nice. going to be just perfect nice. and you know some of the beats on here again sort of remind me of a little bit a little bit of alec empire just distortion ready mm. ready to disintegrate into a million pieces um but it's all held together by Enel's powerful voice um definitely should, definitely gonna go on my um best end of year list for sure Absolutely. Um, and shout out to to the community of, of writers and nerds that kind of coalesce around uh, Brian Ennels and Infinity Knives because it, it, it's a record that deserves to be heard. And I love that almost everybody who heard it immediately mm -hmm. turned to somebody and said, you have to listen to this. So yeah, it's a um, been a real word of mouth success story. And just real quick on that, I want to shout out uh, Fatboy Sharif and Roper Williams, hey. the vinyl for uh, misery loves comedy or what it what is it called uh gandhi loves children, children. sorry yep. uh it's coming out it's coming out this week years oh, after yeah. the release, and then the deluxe release on pow like yep. the way they never let people forget about that project is such and just to watch especially fat boy sharif just level up and get all these mm -hmm. features and shows and do these really weird awesome records just the growth is just insane and i think it's really showing you can either be like ka and drop two albums with one tweet and never mention it again, or you can yeah. be like Fatboy Sharif and never let people forget about you. And those are the two modes 
of like how you be a rap star now at these like you know yeah thoughtful rap the thoughtful rap echelon not not a rap totally. star per se but you guys know what i mean yeah uh, yeah a, a but meaningful but you, but- MC. Sharif is able to do it with like the same project and sort of spread out its lifespan. You know, it's not like he's dropping a new EP every week where it's just sort of where, you know, it gets played out and you sort of get option paralysis, you know? Um, it's Donnie Love's Children, which we love, and then it's the tape version, then it's the um, extended version, now it's the vinyl. So I think he's his career is just on an, an amazing trajectory and he's doing it right. Yeah, it's a it's a testament to like working the material because with each passing day, more people are aware of Fatboy Sharif. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, shout out to him. Another another record that that uh, a lot of the hip hop intelligentsia uh, coalesced around, and it's great to see him uh, pushing forward. Uh, record that stood out for me in Q three was uh Larry June Spaceships on the Blade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry June, a Bay Area guy. I think he's currently holding the mantle as the guy uh as our as our ambassador to the world um it's a good record he doesn't compromise any of the signature stuff he did on the like 27 projects before it like he was really on this tear of doing um these quick hitter projects uh over the last couple years but this really feels like an album um almost too much singing i'm not i'm not dave mall i can tolerate a little more a little bit more r&b than most um but yeah he's he manages to stay himself and also reinvent a little bit uh to keep it interesting for folks and so um he's one of the most interesting rappers in the game and the record does not uh disappoint to that end uh nate what's a record that you were kind of like i don't know maybe i wanted more maybe uh that that one honestly honestly uh it's not my favorite larry june record i think he has a run from kind of like the orange print to the Jay Worthy record where that's going to be my era. Maybe. I mean, he could come out of nowhere and surprise us. I don't know. Um, an album that I thought, you know, we, we, we talk about this kind of a lot, but like these your old Droog records are really running together. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I put together a list for, you know, for the show while we were um, kind of, you know, getting together this afternoon and there's a lot of records just in our what I consider our sphere of what we cover and I I usually like them I put them on I giggle at the punchlines I think they're really skillful Mm -hmm. but then I can't tell them apart I was like did he he put out two or three records during this quarter and which one is which and it's like I I'm the phrase that's been running through my mind about these really productive artists is um how can an artist make too much art like there that's an interest like you know if they were paintings i wouldn't care if he has them all stacked up on the side of the warehouse like why do i care yeah. if they fill up their band camp or their spotify i can only choose what i do with my attention right yeah but it's, yeah it's, it's yeah. kind of like i can't like sort all these di- it's especially because it's so punchliney and barsy yeah. it's just like i can't yeah. i can't process this many bars dude uh which is not his problem <laughs> he will never hear this because he doesn't give a fuck about punditry and i i appreciate that but yeah it's um with the, with the your old drug projects i was like man i i, I can't keep up no mm. that's that's fair mm. he's re- released a lot i think i give him props for continually being able to recycle yod and yod <laughs> like he's got Yadi Dangerfield, the Yod Father. He's got Yod Stewart. Like he's got yeah. he's he's right. leaning Yodzilla. 
Exactly. <laughs> uh, the Godfather. Yeah. He's, he's, he he knows he's committing to his bit, but um, yeah, I I echo some of your sentiments as I I said them before. Um, Dave, what's a record that you were kind of like, man, on in this quarter? God, I I hate to say this, but I I think the sort of silence surrounding it since its release maybe speaks to my point, which is. The Rock Marciano Alchemist album, dude. Like, yeah, I remember us talking the week it came out and I was like, I'm sure it's solid. I need to give it some more time. And I gave it another listen and like, it doesn't grab me. Like sort of to what you were saying, Nate, about like, you know, putting out a lot of art and it's like, you know, if you put out one Mona Lisa, that's amazing. You put out 30 of them, it kind of dilutes it a little bit. And I feel like as good, as solid as it is, it's not grabbing me. But usually Rock already has this thing where I need to be in tune and sort of like on his wavelength. Otherwise I'm just catching sort of things that I don't think are that great. And um, I think the beats on here aren't really grabbing me either. So I don't know, maybe it's me. Maybe I need to take time with it. Have um, you tried listening at two in the morning? <laughs> See, I definitely think that's more of a late night. I'm on my oh, absolutely, listen, absolutely. You know? I'll, I'll say this, well. Dave, because I was kind of with you on that. It, it, it came to me and now I'm super into it. I'm like, Okay, where are, okay. Where are we in the year end list? Are we in the top 10? Are we okay. into the top 10 here? Yeah. It, okay. Yeah, okay. I found my, I found my place with it. It actually, when Damone and I were driving home from LA, it was, I was like, I'm like, yeah, it's whatevs. You know, it's cool. He's like, okay. no, 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 it's better no. than that. Listen again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, with, with both of their track records, I mean, it's certainly going to warrant more listens, but usually, I mean, you know, I, I love his stuff right away. You're a pretty you know, besides, big rock fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I know where you're coming from, and I, I think that's how I felt about the last uh, Rock Marciano record. Um, yeah, but Mount yeah. Marcy, I think everyone kind of is like that. That was not the one. Yeah, uh, to me, this is this is a stellar record. I think it will end up in my top five um, at the end of the year. It's it's Rock Marciano, um, really at the top of his game uh, when it comes to his particular style of slick talk. Uh, I am obsessed with this song Quantum Leap every year okay. i get obsessed okay. with like three or four songs and like that's one of them for me this year um but yeah it's gonna be interesting so many dope records came out we didn't wait wait, have... wait 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 do you have one where you thought was a little underwhelming right right <laughs> i'm not letting you get out of here so quick dude exactly exactly <laughs> without offering my slightly uh contrarian takes um here's my here's a record i was uh underwhelmed by uh Freddie Gibbs, Soul Sold Separately. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree I, with that. Yeah, I kind of feel like, um, and I've said this on the show before, that what made Freddie Gibbs interesting was the contrast. Um, he was a, 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 you know, a trap street dude who kind of had a really good ear for backpack type shit, and that made him stand out. On Soul Sold Separately, uh, we find uh, Freddie Gibbs trying to cash in on being Freddie Gibbs. Um, and it, it, it verges into this kind of Rick Rossian territory that I don't love. Mm. And I, I love some Rick Ross when I do, but um, I don't think that's a great fit for Freddie Gibbs. And I think he sounds ordinary uh, with the, with the Migos and shit like that. You just you just ordinary. You just okay. But the, isn't um, that right. the thing of doing the big debut album? Like he's just he's yeah. doing a thing from time immemorial. You like his just his fuse was longer, but now this is the bomb, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. Now like, it, now mm. he's he's set because I think his cachet in the culture outstretched 
what people knew about his music because of his Instagram mm. antics and kind of how he shows up. He's obviously a phenomenal rapper. Um, but uh, yeah, too cliche, uh, too kind of middle of the road snoozer trap shit that I, I just was not into. Um, it, there, it, has, it has moments here and there. Um, he tries to throw the backpack audience a couple bones, but uh, I think what what saddens me about this record is like I don't see him coming back at this point. <laughs> no, <laughs> I it, I, I, he's escaped underground, and he's he's a big rapper now, and I'm very happy for him in that way. Him. I will say, just because you mentioned Instagram, and he has such a sordid history with Instagram, he really doubles and triples down on that in that on this record where he tries to say that crack, AIDS, and Instagram are. Uh, all things that the CIA like planted in the community and that they are somehow on par with each other as bad things. Wow. I hate them all. Wow. Measure, that's but, terrible. Uh, that's that's not... the song CIA. It's crack Instagram and AIDS. That's what that's what he's saying. Freddie got a touch of that hotel real, real strong. <laughs> uh, yeah, but again, I've talked to a couple other people who I respect who are, are really apeshit about this record. So it, it just depends. We're all people with ideas and opinions uh and we're grateful that you come here to this podcast to hear ours um nate are we gonna do a q4 you declared that q4 isn't a thing uh we'll see i think more what we'll do will be a an awards show at the end of the year called Google jam we're going towards the quibs uh yeah it, 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 we'll see how things break out and who wants to talk to us and how it, we're just like there are very few weeks left in the year and yeah. we have some things we have set up that we're gonna definitely do so i don't know if there will be time for another recap and our standard awards show which is always our most listened to episode of the year and has long legs because people want to look back at the year so yeah. um, i have some ideas about that we'll chat about and you guys have heard some of them already but yeah we'll have to pick a cutoff point set up for our year end list and then we'll we'll do q4 as part of q1 q1 of, of next year uh yeah. to q14 me, if you will to me the year or 41 ends. <laughs> when uh when rap Ferreira drops uh his next record i'm not listening to no more records after that that's, that, <laughs> that's, that's the last the cut off. yeah that's the last record that i'm gonna sit down i, I like the single he dropped uh, recently called ours um so it's really exciting what a time to be alive and to be a rap fan and to listen to this podcast so let's transition to an interview that i've been waiting for uh for a while um we got a chance to talk to Sunspot Jones, a mystic journeyman, somebody that has uh, played a pivotal, inspirational role in my own journey, as well as Nate's. Um, literally the seed for living legends, and they were definitely living legends in, in our realm. So let's uh, let's get into the interview. This is Sunspot Jones, Dead Bud Rapper. rap pod every week we talk to people who move to shape hip-hop culture this week is no different joining us in zoom we have sunspot jones and mystic journeyman what's happening hey man what's good 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 to see you man thanks for having me on the show this is dope and i don't have a dad bod look i've been working <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> 
There we impressive. Go. Damn, uh, already body shaming us, but we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll shove off nonetheless. Uh, yeah, man. Um, you know, we were off off camera, off recording, talking about uh, some of the history. Uh, I remember watching Mystic Journeyman a long, long time ago, uh, barnstorming through the Bay Area, kind of laying the framework for what eventually would become Living Legends. Um, yeah. Can you talk to us about the Bay Area underground rap scene? um in the early 90s and kind of what what led to the formation of, of mystic journeyman i mean basically i came home from college i was going to college in hawaii um i used to go to school and dell was in class with me we both went to skyline and also me and dell grew up you know basically like a few blocks away from each other so we used to uh, you know give give each other cartridges and shit he still got my castlevania i always tell people hoping that <laughs> give it back um but basically i was i was like i would always like you know was in love with hip-hop of course because my mom brought me the breaks um curtis blow first album that was one of my first vinyls and um i'm not trying to date myself but i'm just saying <laughs> it was long you know what i mean and so i was always into hip-hop i was always loving hip-hop and, and dell was hell of into hip-hop so that intrigued me to to be more well you know, because, you know, it was homies and everyone around us was about gangster hip hop because I was coming out of East Oakland and, you know, Oakland, Dangerous Dame, Too Short, you know, The Click, all, all types of, well, they from Vallejo, but still the sound of the Bay was more gangster, you know, real gangster. And, you know, I, I was gravitating towards, you know, trying to be positive. I had a bad background. I was adopted in four. I was warded of the state till I was about 16, in and out of foster homes, in and out of emergency homes. Um, so I wanted to be just, you know, concentrate on the positive, not the negative. I never was a gangster. I never was, self I mean, I ain't gonna incriminate, but you know, I, I stayed out the dirty as much as possible. So um, basically the Bay Area scene was hella, hella about just rap, radio rap or gangster rap. And, you know, I, I, I really gravitated, you know, towards the native tongues and, and you know, other other groups, you know, high row especially too, because they were doing their stuff. But when I was in college, I was send I was send my um demo. I made my first demo on Maui um, with DJ Blast. And uh I would always send my songs, you know, to to Dell and, and he'd be like, Oh, keep doing that shit, keep doing that shit. So um I came back from college. I, I basically gave up. I read um a Lorraine Hansberry play and it changed my whole idea of what I wanted to do. So I wanted to go into the medical field, people in my family in the medical thing. You know, my mom was a lab tech. Um, my uncle was a chemist and, you know, I, I just was really into doing that stuff. But then it turned into a thing of like, I came back and I really was into art too, you know, especially after reading the Lorraine Hansberry play to young gifted and black. I was like, I really, want to be about the arts I, I think everybody in the medical field's kind of stuck up they only care about money only real people is the nurses you know but um i came back and everything was still like you know so hood so gangster and nobody really give a fuck about anything that i was you know basically about when it comes to just being positive so i, I met up with rhino c um, one day when I was, uh, I had the Gavin music convention back in the day and I was just a little young buck, man. I mean, I was so young and I, I met Ronald C from a group called the disposable heroes of hypocrisy and, uh, him and Michael Franny, um, had the group 
they had broke up from the beatniks that they were in before. And, you know, I was like, oh, these guys are doing different stuff, you know, and Ronald became one of my best friends and my mentor. I was like, you know, it is possible to come from the Bay and do other kind of music. You know, their biggest, one of their biggest songs, you know, it's about TV, you know, you know, was the biggest drug of the nation and stuff like that. And I was like, this is the shit, you know, I want to change you know, I want to I want to change people's way of thinking. I want to be revolutionary in everything I say. And and then so started doing music with, with you know, um, Yapos and uh, my boy, the Emperor, all these people that are kind of offshoots of the high crew and, you know, kind of turned into like I wanted to be in a group and the people I was in a group with, we just kind of didn't it just didn't work. But. I got the name Mystic Journeyman out of that whole moment when it was me and Yapos, Young Asiatic Prophet of Soul. That was his name. Um, mm. And I just, like, I need, you know, to concentrate on something else. And I met Tom, you know, Lucky, out of the blue, because I was dating this girl that was going to Clark Kerr. Well, she's going to UC Berkeley, and she lived in Clark Kerr. And uh, this was just one of the, the dorms. And one of her neighbors, which was her friend, Chloe, was like, oh, my boyfriend's coming up from L.A., and, uh, you know, you should meet him. And, you know, I met him and then, you know, we kind of clicked hella big, hella big real quick. And, you know, I was like, oh, you should come up just out of the blue on some dumbass shit. You know, he lives in L.A. I'm like, hey, you should just come and move up to the Bay and be in my group with me. <laughs> just on some dumb ass shit. But, I mean, I was hella ambitious. Like, I was all about, you know, trying to do, you know, where my, where my heart was leading and shit, you know? So... He, he he was like on some crazy shit. He was like, all right, cool, I'll do it. And then he moved up and I was staying at my aunt's house at the time and I had this little gap in between the, the wall, bed, you know, and um, my aunt and uncle, they work every day, like at 8 a.m. So I was living with them because me and my mom weren't getting along. So I was like, shit, dude, I, why don't you just stay here in this room with me? And whenever they're at home, you know, we just come back late when they're already asleep and like, you know, hop out the window in the morning and just come to the front door and act like you just showed up right now. You know what I mean? Oh and, and this fool had a baby pit bull. Uh, so it was, it was, we was doing the most, but you know, like I said, we we're ambitious. And so we started, um, I had already had a demo that I made with uh, the original members, Mystic Journeyman, um, Zach the Lego Maniac, Yay Post, and Nancy, and all this, you know, and uh, they were actually, this was actually the new incarnation of Mystic Journeyman. This was after Yay Post. Um, and they they weren't really serious about it, but they were my friends. And I just was like, the next time I do a group, I got to make sure. Not like I wasn't friends with Yapos and everybody, but, you know, I just was like, I wanted to have people that I just gelled with immediately with what was going on, you know? And, and somehow, you know, I became my friends. And my friends, they just really weren't rappers. And one was going to college. Another person was had a girlfriend. Another person was, like, becoming, you know... Uh, you know, devout Muslim and, and really about his religion. So, like, you know, it was perfect timing when I met Tom because all those guys fell off and Tom was there and he was living in my house with me. We worked on it every day. I was making beats for the first time. And, you know, then we got a, a manager um, in Santa Cruz because we were playing the Vets Hall and the manager was this guy named Lachlan McIntyre. And he ran um, RUSU. He also ended up making the magazine 4080, which was in the Bay um not too long after that and so it just turned into a thing of like you know how now can we involve more people that are friends how can we involve how can we create community you know and uh la pena was a a strong place of this 
community moment too because i was like i saw how they got down they'd have their shows and they just have their crowds and i was like all right fuck this we're gonna we're gonna uh i'm gonna rent the jackson street studios a rehearsal spot and we're gonna throw some of our first shows you know mm. unsigned and hella broke shows you know that's what our shit was called uhb unsigned and hella broke and um from there we just started building community with other artists that were like us that weren't able to pay to get on the radio that weren't able to get on on the summer jam shit that weren't able to to do all the things that you know us a, a label would do for an artist for an artist that's signed but the fucked up thing is we were unsigned artists so we felt no one cared about us but this community we made we became the new community of hip-hop in the bay and then from there it's in the game and then from there i met you know we met Grouch, like we had got kicked out of our warehouse. We were going to um, Europe for the second time at that time. And because we got kicked out of our, our house and um, instead of buying, you know, instead of getting more rent and paying rent to be somewhere broke, we took our money from rent and just bought airplane tickets and went to Europe on some dumb ass shit. But it changed, <laughs> it changed everything. You know what I'm saying? So when we came back to the Bay, people were like, oh shit, you're not even signed. You're not even on the radio, but y'all worldwide. Y'all was in Norway. Y'all was in Switzerland. Y'all was in the French Riviera. Y'all was in England. Who are you? <laughs> We're like, future, man. That's all it is. We're the, we don't have to buy into whatever the Bay is already trying to say. We're supposed to sound like. We're our own people, you know? And uh, from that moment on, it just changed. And we, we kept building community. We kept throwing shows. And the shows got bigger. And, you know, people... Oh, I was saying in Grouch. I met Grouch at the... Um, at the going away party when we were going for the second time and he was like yo when you guys come back why don't you just stay at my grandma's house my grandma just pa passed away she has a house in alameda and you know it's an empty house you can live there with us you can live there with me and we was like well shit we'll see you in about a month you know and wow. from there it just kept building we kept you know getting more people that were our friends and then there are our you know, colleagues, and there are, are people that we rap with. They were a group all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden we're all going, to, you know, to Australia or going to Japan or we're right. going, you know, and that's how it started. That's crazy, man. Um, also, all, include all in a whim, all on just risking everything, and everybody saying you guys are stupid motherfuckers for even believing in yourself. Yeah. And if we didn't do that, we wouldn't even be talking right now. Mm. Yeah, no, it was, it was crazy inspirational at the time. Uh, this was pre-internet. Um, so I, I was one of those youths that was like, damn, how are they doing this? Uh, yeah. it, it was an era when people got record deals, though. So I, I kind of just want to drill down on that a little bit. Unsigned and Hella Broke as a slogan, but it was also a zine. Um, again, we are pre-internet at that time. And y'all also threw some uh, Unsigned and Hella Broke summer jams. Right. It's just a, an amazing countercultural moment. But let me ask you this. At some point, did y'all ever get offers? Yeah, so we did get offers from um, record labels, but at the same time, too, we were this phenomenon in the sense of, oh, shit, who are these guys? How are they doing all this shit? But when it came to our music, it wasn't the music that's played on the radio. So there'd be a lot of interest at first, you know, from certain shit. They'd be like, oh, my God, who are these guys? And then they hear our songs we're talking about, you know, crazy shit you know uh underwater smoking blunts or some shit you know just talking about you know anything that was because we we try to do anything that wasn't on the radio you know and if the song sounded too good to us we're like that shit's whack you know what i mean because we don't want to have this highly polished you know sound we wanted 
to be underground. I was raised on punk rock and and Dan Kennedy, suicidal tendencies, all this, the Gilmore, you know, the shit that was really anti-establishment. So I was like, we have to be on the same page of just showing who we are. So we we get these little, you know, meetings and they would end up a certain way. But one meeting, you know, well, a couple of meetings we had with KRS-One, this is actually was crazy this is when he was at warner brothers and he was a part of i think reprise he was maybe president of reprise or something at the time and uh i remember going to his office you know one of the first times i came down to la or one of the few times i was actually living back and forth in la at tommy's parents house too we'd do the back and forth but um he he basically was like in this room that was probably the size of a small office small kitchen you know what i'm saying and he had all his plaques on the wall. And, and bruh, I was chaos one fan to death, especially at that time, too. Because he would come to the Bay and he would rip shows down. I was like, what the fuck? Like, he would just walk to the stage and it'd be like thousands of people just jumping. I'm just like, this is the shit that, you know, him and Buster Rhymes, these were like two of my favorites. Besides Too Short, Too Short is like daddy in the sense of stepdaddy, <laughs> in, in the sense that I was in high school listening to his shit all the time. That was like, you know, it's crazy that I didn't end up doing gangster shit because like I was really heavily influenced by Bay Area gangster shit. I just didn't want to, you know, go that route. Um, but we're in his office and all these plaques on the wall. And I'm like, yo, do you own all the masters for these? I was like, this is a guy that's such a high, you know, a huge inspiration to me and everything that we're all about. And I'm speaking truth. And he doesn't even own his masters. And I was like, this, that was when I realized, you know, this isn't this, and he's in a small ass office and he's a fucking God to me, you know? I, I realized, you know, this isn't, this isn't the route, you know, this isn't the way. That's when I realized record deals sucked, but we were still unsigned and hella broke, but we were not broke because we'd do shows and we'd, you know, make our thing happen. Um, so Sunspot, uh, can we talk a little bit about, and I, you've kind of woven it in here a little bit, but I'd like to hear a little bit more. Were you guys out on Telegraph slanging tapes and battling? And can you talk about that aspect of it a little bit? Like the, the scene of Telegraph specifically? Hell yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> and Magnet, uh, everything we are about as well, too, because um, the college was there and telegraph was so fruitful for vendors already we'd see and we'd be like you know and we had you know i think one of the first times we, we were up there we went to leopold's and leopold's was yeah, like yeah. to me and you know we we're like yo can we put our tape in your <laughs> in your store can we sell it and karen who actually still runs them even in la she was like yeah no problem and we put our tape in the leopold's and it became the hottest tape of the summer highest selling shit and uh, I think I was for Never Forget. And this is like a tape cover that I made at Kinko's. You know, this is all Kinko yeah. covers. I'd go to Leopold's and I would, you know, they'd have the the rap and I'd heat, you know, rap every single tape. And the shit looked like a regular tape that was from a label, which is crazy. Um, but that started to see that, you know, Telegraph is actually the spot we need to be. I mean, I lived in Oakland, but I was like, Berkeley, by the college, this is where... It's going down. This is where people, you know, are checking for music. And and I, a lot of people are hella open-minded to not just the gangster sound. You know what I mean? They was open to, like, you know, they were college kids. They wanted dope shit. They just wanted dope shit. And so I, I say for years, I was on Telegraph every single day. It first, start, it first started off 
I, I had just enough money to take the bus to get to Telegraph, maybe a little bit of money to get a fast slice, but I had no money to get home unless I sold a tape. You know what I mean? So I would be out there and I sold so many tapes and I'd be there. You know, a lot of times it'd be me there by myself with Hobo Junction. You know what I mean? And um, that's, you know, and then other people in my crew would be there too, you know, but I think I was literally, I mean, if anybody knows, I was there every single day almost, you know, and um, it's without Telegraph, we would have never probably had shit too, because honestly, all those college kids that would walk down and I'd sell tapes to, they would take those tapes home to their city, wherever right. they were. They were, they were like, you know, our tapes were seeds to seed a new area that these places, you know, these kids were from. And, you know, these eventually we end up getting booked out there because someone from the school knew somebody that had the tape and, you know, it just, it was crazy, you know, and we'd sold our tapes out there to make enough money to buy CDs. Right. So it was like the, it was, it was the building blocks to everything that we were doing and we were accepted in that moment. So Telegraph, cause we were Telegraph's full of weirdos supposedly. And we, <laughs> weird rap, I guess, because we didn't want to talk about killing and shooting hoes and shit, you know what I mean? But uh, Telegraph was a very, you know, huge inspiration. And it's the first place we had our stuff in the stores and, you know, Amoeba without, you know, that didn't turn into Amoeba and Amoeba, you know, Karen was running after Leopold's and you know they were like damn we see her all the time you know do you have any tapes you want to sell us and you know I I'm a guy too before I go to Telegraph I would make song I make beats all day I mean if you look at all our first shit it's all produced by Sunspot Jones you know what I'm saying because I'd be I I'm literally making a beat every moment of the day you know what I mean and yeah. making then everybody in the house they hear the beat I'm like come on up because I live like upstairs and I'm like come on up and, you know, we end up making songs and, you know, or I'd make songs by myself. I hella songs by myself or me and Tom, you know, we'd make hella Misty Journeyman songs. And so I was like, well, fuck, I have so many songs and they want a tape. I'm like, well, you only want one of the tapes? They're like, well, shit, give me all the different tapes you have. So I was like, well, shit, all these tapes are about to turn into something new. And that's when I created the UHB tapes. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. It just, uh, you're not the, Damone is not the only one who has a little connection to you. I was the buyer, hip hop buyer at Streetlight San Jose for many years. So I used to buy stuff from Eli, stuff from you, like well past this era where you needed to hang out at Telegraph. You would come in with all the different long boxes. We'd go through the computer and you guys always sold huge for us because San Jose, where we're from is, that's Mystic Journeyman territory. It's like, yeah. you, you guys inspired a lot of my friends myself i just like need to tell you how important that was and that we appreciate it no i appreciate you guys being there just you know we rocked the cactus club i don't know if you remember hey. that but it, first shows i threw outside of um oakland you know i once i i threw a broadcast summer jam i think i was gonna it was three different locations and it was in two days and one was a cactus club the next was La Pena, and then the next was um uh san francisco maritime and all of them sold out and after that i was like Fuck a record deal. Fuck what anybody got to say. Fuck the radio. We have a scene. We created a community. You know, um, Sunspot, one of my favorite cuts of yours is Ice Pirates featuring Bell off of your uh, first uh, debut uh, solo. And I, you know, you mentioned a little bit about Dell and your guys' relationship going back to school and stuff. And you touched on Hyro. And I, I have always wondered, especially since you guys sort of came up at the around the same time what was Hyro's impact on living legends um you know i'm gonna tell you like this 
I had a different relationship with Hyrule than I did with Dell. Okay. Dell, like me and Dell were really, uh, I felt like we were around the same age. So we probably had more of a click where everybody else was a little bit younger. So I wasn't really that known to all the other people at the time, you know, I was more known to, to, to Dell and, um, we, uh, definitely loved Hyrule and when the 93 to infinity tape came out the blue tape we were rocking the fu- we loved you know these guys but we also didn't want to be anything like them you mm. know like Hyrule was hella style influenced with how they did their shit so like honestly I just especially back then I didn't want to do hardly any kind of style I just wanted to kind of make slam poetry kind of rap style you know as you hear it's like more a uh, poet thing because like i didn't want anyone to ever think that i was biting or you know none of us wanted you know anyone to think that we were biting i mean and then i went to la and i saw freestyle fellowship and i was like oh my god these guys are gods but um you know i understood there's different styles too that, that shit can go you know jazz wise but hyro was a strong influence on like just being yourself staying who you are you know for that first album that they did um for i'm sorry for the souls of mischief album you know that that hella resonated with us but then you know there was also the line in it that a plus says you know if you really sign why you, or if you really dope why aren't you signed yet mm. which changed later you know um but that really kind of struck a sour chord i think at the time for us because we were like damn no one's gonna ever accept us if we're not signed you know that's where we're coming from if you're not signed you're not a real artist you know and then when they got off a jive and they started doing their own independence it took them a long time to really do the third eye vision album i think because that was probably like maybe six years later or something after 93 to infinity right and that's when i was like okay they're seeing the independent shit is where you need to go and it actually helped us in the sense of seeing that yes we're all in the same boat we're all we all don't have to be part of a label we i mean we're official as we are absolutely um and you mentioned a little bit earlier about your relationship with grouch and and how that came to be can you talk about the the way I remember it was there was this transition period between Mystic Journeyman taking over cities and small towns. I thought of y'all like a baseball team. Like y'all would come through with the bus and like everybody, Mystic Journeyman's here, Mystic Journeyman's here. Uh, and then at some point, people started being like, Living Legends is here. Yeah. And I'm like, it, it seemed like, oh, that seems like part of the same thing. Can you talk about kind of how did that transition occur? It's crazy because Mystic Journeyman, we were, like I said, we're more, I felt so slam poetry. I don't want to, I'm only saying slam poetry just in the sense of so you understand we're really poetry influenced, you know, and like not really trying to rap like everybody else is more. But you, Tommy, Lucky was more of a, a rapper. I, I always thought my raps were just so poetry style. And, you know, I, I thought they were awkward, honestly, back then. So when Missy Journeyman blew up, I felt like we, we blew the fuck up. But then, you know, and then the maritime stuff started happening around the same time. And, you know, first, the first maritime sold out UHB shows were Mystic Journeyman. And then it turned into Living Legends, you know, headlining. Because we had Crouch, we had Eli, we had Merce, we had Aesop, we had Arata. And, you know, 
it, it just somehow turned into a rock star camp. I mean, it's, it's crazy as that sounds, you know? So Mystic Journey, so it became an individual kind of thing, sort of, you know, because we did Mystic Journey, we did Black Sands of Eternia, that shit was, oh, that was humongous for us. And then um, after that, we did Magic, the Magic album. And uh, we have Malapas Tears in between there. But um, we were becoming rock starred out at the same time too. We, we are seeing our individual, we were seeing our power as individuals. So it kind of worked and I dropped Child of the Storm and Child of the Storm did hella good for me. Grouse was dropping his own shit. Aesop dropped his own shit. So it just kind of like, we just all became, we went from group to individual MCs in a group, in a bigger group, you know? And we are changing the game by, you know, black, white, Asian. It was like, we are such, we were just ready to embark on a new world, you know, a new thing. So it just became live legend. You see, Missy Journeyman still really doesn't have that much on the streaming thing because that was, I say, our just our underground years. And then when we went, you know, to the living legends, shit just like we're on Rock the Bells every year. We're we're like going around the world big time. We're doing, you know, things that are next level that as Missy Journeyman we couldn't do because the sound was very underground. Where Living Legends, it was more of a sound now everybody could feel a, a little piece of some of that, you know? And, you know, not like it's, it was bad, Missy German. I, I think Missy German still is one of the best times of my life, but we had a chance to take it up, up, up. And that was Living Legends, you know? I wish I could, you know, say, um, it was something like we got in a fight and it was like five heartbeats and we were like, fuck <laughs> all that. It wasn't, it was none of that. It was just that it was just, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, when you're doing, especially when you're doing a lot of shows, you know, um, our beats were just like, it was just, I just thought some of the living legends beats were just phenomenal, you know? And I was like, I'm not going to say it's better than mystic journeyman beats. I'm just saying it's just a different, a different vibe, it's a different level, and it's taking it up to where a little bit of everybody now is involved, you know, invited to the party. Where underground shit, you know, it's only a certain amount of it was, it was a click, you know, a click of people. So yeah. Absolutely. Oh, you muted Dave. I I thank you for that. I just wanted to touch a little bit on Mystic Journeyman. I mean, we've been talking a lot about it and um, I'm not sure what uh, Lucky I Am P PSC is currently up to, but like, and where do you guys stand? But um, how is the relationship and will there other, will there ever be another Missy Journeyman album? Um, you know, right now I'm in the process of just trying to get all the old albums up on Spotify and um, Apple Music and all that stuff. But, you know, a lot of people, I was just talking to Crouch about this yesterday, which is crazy. Um, because we went on this long-ass bike ride and we're talking about all this different stuff. And, and the whole thing is this. Wives, children are, I hate to use a term, trump anything that us as musicians right now can do. So, like, mm -hmm. Lucky has four kids. Um has a girl that he's with. I mean, I think, you know, his whole thing is about being with his family right now, as it should be. Mm. You know, um, 
this whole pandemic shit has kind of pulled everyone apart from everything that they're used to doing, you know, and um, I just don't, I just don't know what the future holds. I'm, I'm always down to do anything with him because I think he's one of the best rappers I've ever heard in my life. You know, mm. Lucky is my favorite, one of my favorite rappers of all time. But, you know, it's just life doesn't allow everybody to do everything they want. Like I, <clears throat> excuse me, I never got married. I don't have any kids. You know, I have no kids whatsoever. So I have the freedom to be selfish and do whatever I want. But a lot of people, you know, they have responsibilities and he's one of the people that has responsibilities. So, you know, we don't really even... Like I probably hang out more with, with grouts now than I do with anybody in my group because everybody in my group, you know, has kids. Eli has, you know, his new new um toddler. You know, Scarab just had his third kid, our fourth kid. Um, Picasso just had his second kid. Aesop is dating, you know, a, a lady with two kids. And, you know, shit, fam family is everything right now for, you know, for the whole group. So I hope something will happen, you know, as far as, um, you know, what I'm doing, I'm still making music. I'm still like my latest album that's about to come out is with a plus from hieroglyphics, you know, Stony Hawk, you know, it's going to be part two. Cause we did part one, um, in 2019 and I went on Torah Hyro nationwide. Um, I'm going to keep, you know, doing what I'm doing and, and just pray, you know, some, at some point me and Tom, you know, lucky can etch out, something to happen in the future because like i said he's an amazing mc one of my favorites and you know whatever we make i think it'll be dope but also too you know i think we we dropped black sands of attorney and it did so good for us and then we dropped magic and somehow it didn't you know it didn't do as well mm. as um the black sands and then right after that we dropped almost famous living legends and that shit just went you know right. big right. And that kind of even made everybody in the sense kind of be like, or me and him probably be more like, well, shit, well, maybe we should just let Missy Journeyman be what it is. And, and like, you know, let's just do, just do this living legend shit. But what's funny, you know, Grouse calls me stupid because he's, why aren't you, why aren't you guys doing more Missy Journeyman shit? And you need to have all that shit out. And he's one of the main people like saying, why isn't this shit on the platform? Merce hit me up like a, uh, not too long ago it's like where's the albums on spotify why can't you get this shit on the stream you know everywhere i think i'm the one that's kind of being the slowest about it because um i just am just slow on the feeling of just doing anything for mystic journeyman because i'm doing so much new shit but it doesn't mean that it's not as important but it's just that i have a list of shit i'm dealing with right now stuff that i'm doing and you know, I haven't made any beats. It comes down to that. I haven't made any fucking beats. And I, I just got an MPC one a year ago. And I still have not made any fucking beats on it because I'm, I've been animated. Like, I, my, my thing right now is doing animation. Oh, you know, wow. that takes so much time for me to, you know, do. But, you know, I have, I, I was on tour with Grouch this summer, all summer. And I have my sampler with me. I'm like, I'm gonna have all this time to make all these beats. <laughs> had no fucking time to do shit, you know? That shit was yeah. just in the, the you know, thing, the, the, in the sprinter. And I just have not just found that time. And I'm dying, and trust me, inside, I am dying to make some beats. Mm -hmm. I am dying 
but it's just I I just only want to make music. So once I start making beats, that's all I'm going to be doing all day, every day. And there's not going to be no animating. There's not going to be nothing. Like I have another children's book I'm dropping, you know, and, and like, I'm not, I'm just not going to have anything else done because I, I would rather just make songs. I mean, my last album that I did myself, I had almost fucking uh, what, 400 songs just wow. to pick, just to pick 12 because I just want to make songs every day. So, you know, I'm like, man, nobody want to hear your 400 fucking songs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, you make it for just pick it 12, do it like that. So I kind of have to put myself on, on punishment sometimes. You know what I mean? Just on the whole music making thing. So I feel once I I get on this machine, um, I'll, I'll be hitting Tom up and, you know, I'll be like, hey, I got this beat, you know, what's why, you know? And maybe we could do some because that, like I said, it's still one of my favorite times in the world and some of the beats that you know i made back then still no one's making beats like that like i mean mm -hmm. the the firefly rebellion beat that beat yeah. crazy you know what i'm saying or the never forget beat that beat is crazy depths of survival you know uh, survival yeah all these still you know it's still to this date none of these you know people are kind of making underground beats that bump and which is fucked up too even for me right now it's like I'm making all this new shit and I, I like doing stuff over other people's stuff because it makes me think in a different way. I'm not thinking about the snare. I'm not thinking about the hi-hat. I'm not thinking right. about how this. And so, you know, I'm like, damn, they don't got enough bass in this beat. But I done made, <laughs> I done made a song. I love this song, but there's not enough bass on this fucking beat. And that's another thing that pushes me to be like, I need to get back on them sticks and get the shit popping, you know, so. That's yeah. dope, man. Um, I just wanted to ask kind of a wrap up question. Like um, when I know the story is not done being written and that you're still very much an artist and you still have so much going on, but like, are, do you ever sit and reflect about the impact of your independent ethos and the music that you made and the, the crew oh. and how much you've traveled and touched people and how many people you've inspired? I would tell you like this, anything that happens in my life, you know, something's happening. I'm just like, that's fucking amazing. You know, that's amazing. Like there was like 20,000 people here at this show tonight. That's fucking amazing. Or I just sold all these CDs, you know, back in, you know, I made hella money or, or we have enough money now to make all these videos or damn, we're on a flight now. We're going to Amsterdam. We're about to be in Helsinki rocking tonight in Helsinki where the sun don't go down. Everybody's drunk at 2 a.m. walking around in a bright ass day, you know, all these things, you know, they're amazing. But I learned a long time ago, especially dealing with people um, that never really kind of amounted to do half the shit they say. I can't sit there and think about anything because I can't care about anything but what I'm doing. I, I mean, I know mm. it sounds stupid, but for me, it's like they're Kodak moments, but don't get caught up on what you did. Like, what, what's that famous thing? I'll sleep when I'm dead. It's like, yeah. that's all rocking chair later, you know? Like, I know some people are like, man, I can't believe we do that, man. I'm just about to celebrate all month. I'm like, well, have fun. Cause in that month, I'm probably gonna have about 800 songs made about, you know, <laughs> Hey, I made a movie not too long ago, you know, I'm probably gonna have another movie, you know, I'm gonna have a series. I mean, that's what I'm thinking, you know, my reward is that I can just keep doing this. That mm -hmm. is the greatest reward ever, you know what I'm saying? And it can, and I can support myself doing it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I live in a fucking two-bedroom condo in Hollywood that's only fucking paid for by my music. That's crazy. By my films, by my books buy things that I think of, mm. you know, 
and not not like I'm better than anyone. I'm just saying I need to pay attention to that as much as possible. What I'm going to do more than what I've done, what mm. I've done, done, and that's cool. I'll deal with that later. But right now, I need to be in the present and and make sure this magic, you know, um, doesn't leave me. The hardest thing in the world to be is inspired. You can't mm. pay for that. It doesn't come in a box. You know what I mean? It's 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 God given. So you better run after that shit before someone dream assassins you. You know, takes away your whole ability to believe in yourself. And, and, you know, create, materialize. That's what you're here to do. Mm. And that's, man. you know, live my life. That's beautiful, man. We we appreciate this, the sage advice and you making the time to come on the program. Uh, you know, obviously, big influence on myself and, and Nate. So uh, just thank you so much, man. Thank you guys for having me. And, you know, I just want to end it with, you know, your dreams are yours for only as long as you take advantage of them. We're all connected as one. You have thoughts, you have dreams, but if you don't act on them in that window, other people are going to pick up that same dream. You know, you ever have something that you were like, oh, I was just thinking about that, and someone jumps on it? Don't ever give yourself a second guess. Don't ever worry about what people are going to think. Step up if you're inspired and put your dreams full force because this is the only lifetime you're going to remember. did their show like the energy was the same he was yeah, like, they brought it every night no matter who was there right that's their whole or the afternoon probably in this case knowing Hank Lopez yeah but they and they made converts man it's it, it was it was borderline religious so when he was like oh I, I worship Karis one I was like I can see that yeah. right there's definitely uh, so, so all right let's do the outro, outro. all right so this is dad Bob Rap. Uh, so all 
right, that was our conversation with Sunspot Jones of Mystic Journeyman. Nate, um, my vinyl is currently in storage, or I definitely would have ran uh, and pulled out Never Forget and Depths of Survival and all that shit. Like, People like it when you do that. You hold it up in front of I the know. little Zoom camera and be like, see, I'm a big fan, I told you. It it, it definitely works, but uh, yeah, definitely had the tapes, like, all that shit. I'm a, I'm a product of his era, so it was really good to get some of his time yeah. to kind of. And now he's here, and he took us on a mystic journey, man. Man, <laughs> from top <laughs> to bottom, mystic journey. The mystic journeyman journey that lands in Hollywood is yeah. so it's it's so um, in a lot of ways improbable. But we we didn't necessarily get this far in the interview. But um, the independent as fuck ethos that um that LP espouses the movement that was early raucous, the early kind of, um, not early, but the late nineties, uh, East coast underground resurgence, all that had actually been done by mystic journeyman, like almost a full decade before. And I don't know if a lot of folks understand that, that like their role in that. I just think the tapes traveled and uh, there there needed to be hip hop by non-famous people. Mm. And a lot of people had that idea. And uh, Mystic Journeyman, uh, the, the, it's so funny. You and I could probably do a second segment now on all the stuff we didn't get to ask him. I know, I know. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk to him about, he mentioned it several times. He was referring it to as like his slam poetry yeah. influences, poetic influence. And I wanted to be like, was it a, lack of knowledge about bar structure or a disregarding of bar structure because that is really what he's talking about i think like his yeah. raps in particular come at you as like clusters with a lot of uh rising and falling intonation mm-hmm. and a lot of attack mm-hmm. on them and it's like it's like he had a very unique rapping style that for me knowing nothing about musical theory when i'm a kid hearing these tapes going like whoa i want to hear the underground shit okay i found some underground shit yeah now. this is like, it this doesn't even make sense. Like I'm so intrigued. And I was always wondering because later when they do the um, Mystic Journeyman record or the Living Legends record where they look like the Brady Bunch on the cover kind of thing, like that that's someone is producing that someone saying you get this much time and he's fitting into that. But in their early shit, he was just like hitting you over the head with imagery in a way that I don't know if a lot of people listen to those things. As he mentioned, a lot of it is not on streaming. Maybe it will be someday. That's how you get remembered these days and people rediscover you. And I hope that that happens for people. But when we heard them mostly as tapes, a little bit as CDs, um, it was like, it really messed me up in like the best spot. Well, it was dope to hear him talk about the level of intention and the influences from punk. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me because their lack of polish was actually pretty controversial. They were very upfront about, we record this shit on a home four track. And that was a point of pride at a time. Well, I'll be honest, when we were doing the lackadaisical thing, we were like, we'll never do this shit on a four track. Like we have access to the studio. Like we're going to make this as, as bright and shiny as possible, but they were going in the other direction and I think the the sound and the ethos came together to make the legend. When you think about the when you talk about something being a living legend, um, it was lore in the Bay Area about who they were and their tales, their exploits, again, in a time before the internet. So to to create a buzz in a time before the internet, I don't think people understand the 
Yeah, um, the, you, you the talked about it, but you didn't use the exact term. Uh, they were like barnstorming. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, they, was, they would like go to a town, become known in that town, and then put the tapes out, and then people would take them back to their town. Yep. And it was, it was, it was, I, I, I just don't know how to say it more times, and I'm glad we got a chance to tell him. It was very, very inspiring. And you had Absolutely. High Rose, High Rose Imperium, we've been dropped. We founded our own website. We're doing our own tours as kind of a more polished version of, of it, and then the yep. more accessible um seemingly like anyone could do it if they had enough passion version of mystic journeyman and in the bay we were just spoiled for different types of independence you have the out the trunk ethos of a two short and an e40 you have these guys you have all these different tiers of people who've always been entrepreneurial about the business of hip-hop and not waiting for people to come to them um so i i don't know man I, i can't imagine what kind of music I would be listening to now if I had not discovered this when I was like 15, 16. But which is it's the perfect not, age. It's not this, you know yeah, what I mean? Which, which is the perfect age. I think that their appeal was younger. I think uh, he spoke to the controversy a little bit about uh, the Souls of Mischief line. And there was a real controversy about whether um, there were folks who, who felt that they were better than Mystic Journeyman and weren't doing the things that they were doing. But I think what is helpful in this interview is is um to know that uh sunspot and lucky i am intentionally went in an antagonistic direction um they didn't try to make the things that were being made all the rest of us 90 percent of everybody else was trying to make their best souls of mischief record right and they were like we are not going to do that shit at all and that's a type of courage um that is even lacking in these days of like you know everybody wanting to do the thing that's in and so um the courage, the bravado, you kind of heard some of the, the motivational speaking part of it. Like if you saw their shows back in the day, um, it very much the same. Like yeah. you were being you were being uh, it was like evangelical uh, to a point about underground hip hop. And I got to perform at uh, the unsigned and hella broke summer jam in Oakland at La Pena, um, which obviously is a night that's like burned into memory. Um Tracks a million, Jesse Jones, myself got to have a little bit of the derelict set um, at that. And it was it was a big deal. The magazine Unsigned Hella Broke was a big deal to be mentioned in that meant that you had somehow arrived in the scene that was of their making. So um, super dope to have him on. Um, and I love the the kind of like he's like, nah, fuck that. I'm in the present. Yeah, totally. With which, all that. Which, which is the only way to be. Right. And it, it was really cool. Um, I would, I think we were pretty far on our way to interviewing every member of Hyro. I would love to talk to every member of Living Legend someday. Absolutely. It was super cool. He mentioned Arata. I had yeah. not thought about Arata in a in long a time. Uh, yeah. I think the only he didn't mention Picasso or Scarab. Um, he said he said Scarab one time, only to mention the number of kids that Scarab had, which I think <laughs> is hilarious. <laughs> Leave it That's to your so childless funny. friend to remind you, like, yes. they all got kids. I don't have yeah. none of that shit, which is okay, another way that you live in Hollywood. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> super dope. Um, yeah, just like a bunch of different personalities coalescing in these kind of loose um, cliques. And there's something very beautiful about that. And I hope that the music is more accessible to more people soon. But there's also a little part of me that is like cool with it being our little secret. You know what exactly, I mean? Exactly, exactly. Because I have some of it already. So I'm kind of like, yeah, whether yeah. you guys get it is not important to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so shout out to Sunspot Jones for coming on, sharing some of his time 
but that's what you've come to expect here on the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Dad Bod Rap Pod. You can find us on Instagram, uh, which I guess is on par with crack cocaine <laughs> and the All CIA. Back. Yeah, but we're still there uh, at Dad Bod Rap Pod. And we also have a Patreon. And, and it you... really hurts my feelings when people leave the Patreon. <laughs> but yeah, man, when I look at those reports and I'm just like, uh, but, you know, it's we, so we cool it. when people join. I did not. I was not ready for the weird rejection when people unjoin. I was yeah, like, it... wow, I know people cannot just pay money for the rest of their lives. And if they're not feeling it or they feel like they've had their fill, I get it. But yeah. damn, what's it, it sings... the worst notification to get? It, it it's things a little bit uh because I, I i'm from the era where the rejection was silent whether you listen <laughs> to my shit or not i never i wasn't in on it um so this is where metrics gets the best of us we get to see like instant feedback on what isn't isn't working but we've got a robust community on uh the patreon that's patreon.com slash dad rap pod just today today in real time not when you listen to this nate dropped a new episode of fly sporadic called cabin core which the people had actually been asking for uh, i think i, I talked ta- about it a few times it takes me months to put these things together which is a little embarrassing because it's like an unmixed two-hour <laughs> mix um and i don't yeah. even talk on this one but uh yeah you know i'm rocking the flannel shirt right now it's uh yeah. it's time to move into autumn even though the weather is not behaving where we live but um this is kind of like a peek into um, the folk crates, the classic rock crates, some of the indie rock crates, and uh, it's just about creating a vibe. And I will actually be going away with my wife on the uh, week in between Christmas and New Year's up to a cabin in the literal middle of nowhere. Okay. Um, the, the closest thing is Yosemite, and Yosemite is two hours away from where we're going. Holy shit. Yeah, so Amen. we are getting out of town, and this is the kind of stuff I will be listening to while I like make stew and chop wood and oh, uh, take hikes and probably do a couple other things I don't talk about on the podcast. But Man, uh, yeah. Nate LeBlanc living up to his French-Canadian name, rolling up, <laughs> rolling up the sleeves. I wish I could say I did shit like that when I go to the cabin, but I'm just kind of like, I need a cabin that has everything that I have at home. Right. Except we'll just be there. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, dude, with my wife and I, we have our, you know, we just went to New York and we did like a real urban journey where we're eating in restaurants and taking the subway and going to shows and stuff. But when we chill, we chill pretty damn hard. And mostly what we do is read near each other. Yeah. Proximal reading. That's how you stay together, folks. You got relationship advice on this program. (laughs) Nate. Uh, I got to ask you, kind of rounding off my kind of New York trip stories. I yep. thought about you in every restaurant, <laughs> but um, uh, restaurant, the name is escaping me. We had a great Italian meal in this kind of upscale food court in Chelsea Market. Okay. But um, we're sitting at this counter. The The service staff in New York is fucking great. It's like the fucking, you know, uh, big leagues of, of waiters and bartenders. <laughs> And I look at the waiter. I'm like, who's that guy over there just kind of making meals for nobody at that counter that's completely empty? Yeah. He's like, that's the chef. He will make you a plate of pasta starting at $165. Whoa. Nate, Le- Nate LeBlanc, is there a plate of pasta that you would pay $165 for? Uh, apparently there is. And I'm looking <laughs> at tickets on my phone. So it's like a pasta omakase. Maybe, maybe it's like it's he'll a, it's make a, it for you right there. Yeah, 
you know what omakase is like the chef's choice in japanese food oh is that what that means yeah okay. you, you come okay. and sit down and you just say you know that's what you're there to get and then whatever they put in front of you is what you're expected to eat yeah it's like that's what the sushi bar is actually for it's not for a little uh yeah. mechanized lazy river with little plates no. on it as it has become <laughs> which those can be fun too but um yeah that uh that wow. is like the concept of that and it's just like what the chef feels like at the moment whatever's yeah. fresh etc yeah. etc et you don't often see it applied to other kinds of food but that's a very interesting idea yeah, and like man. um my credit card bill since i got back would tell you yes there is <laughs> there's 165 dollar plates of pasta there's 165 dollar a lot of things and yeah. it's nice to be in a world-class city that has um options like that and also you can get a piece of pizza on the street for a dollar and but, it's also good yeah the one of the best things i ate is a uh, is an empanada from a spot a 24-hour spot called yeah. empanada mama um one of the best things i ate that uh, while i was there and so um New York is fucking great. Look for I'm looking for excuses to go back. Uh, shout out to Nappy Nina. She's got a, a new album dropping in January that everybody needs to cop because like all rappers, she's having the existential crisis of like, what do I even do this for? Like she retired not, and then she changed her mind. Yeah, exactly. It's like Mike's not the only one. He's just the one articulating it the best. But like, um, you know, we're sitting there talking about literal geniuses um who who are not on the the plateaus of success we'd like to see them so definitely uh support that record when it comes out uh keep supporting the podcast just five dollars a month will unbreak nate's heart uh, <laughs> from people leaving the patreon uh we've been who sings that who sings unbreak my heart um is that tony braxton uh that's breathe is, is, is it her no too? that's breathe no Unbreak my, my man. I wish this was live. I wish people could just chat us during the thing and like <laughs> correct us. Uh, if you have the answer to who sings "Unbreak My Heart," uh, we will give you a nine dollar discount on a year long subscription to <laughs> our Patreon on online. Everybody can get that uh, five dollars a month, or you can do fifty one dollars a year. Um, it we does hate a lot asking for money. We hate talking about this. Know that we are mortified right now. But uh Nate's mortified. I'm low-key, just like, hey guys, uh, we give you a cabillion free podcast. And if you wanna if you want us to keep going, you saw what happened to Jesus and Mero just doing nonsensical shit now, and you can't even enjoy it. Um, I'm not saying that's gonna happen to us. We love each other. Uh, we're not making enough money to make it divisive, but at the same time. <laughs> uh, you were right. It was Tony Braxton props. Yeah. When it comes to that uh, 90s R&B, um, uh, pass me the ball, coach. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. We appreciate everyone's time, attention, patronage. And, you know, we'll be back next Thursday. More heat. Dad bod. Rap pod. Keep it alive. It all started with a uh uh. When I took the power from my mind to a rhyme, West Coast is driving in the nine. Flow, show, hella fools, think we sign, but we ain't. I'm ready for the wars, so my body's covered with paint. Recover the saint. Too many days I wasted on the couch smoking on tank. Thank God. Cause they said we never make it. Lawyers talking all these standards, but these standards made for breaking. Wrecking companies.
keys and all your marketing. Still leave a brother broke while your beam of close. So only one getting rich is the label. I'm staying underground because the underground is stable. Able, able to build it on our own. Interviews of all these couples, go and build it up at home. MCs come on a wax claiming underground. But never did a show before this time the contract snap. Portrait demo circulating in my town The only way I know you is through videos You ain't even getting paid But you're front though You stand on stage rapping over tracks Your show is hella boring, hella soft fools is whack You ain't no pro Who ripped you at your show? We blowing up so I hope these motherfuckers smoke Motherfucker, uh-uh, yeah, yeah You know why? Cause we never going out Motherfucker, uh-uh, yeah, yeah You know why? Cause we never going out I mean, you can. It's just saying the particular thing. Yeah. Wait, what the fuck does fat mean? That I mean, means jack off now. Hell fucking. What <laughs> 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 community? How motherfuckers changing shit? And I don't even know. Yeah, man. You, you didn't get that email? Uh, I am sincerely sorry for starting the interview this way. Jacking <laughs> <laughs> off. It, it's just so big. I mean, God. <laughs> It's everywhere. 